prayer before study. Ineffable creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom, and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. Pour forth a ray of your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants. Refine my speech and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Amen. Hello, and welcome back to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond. What you just heard was The Prayer Before Study by Thomas Aquinas. And if you're interested in taking a look at that, it actually comes from the Thomas Aquinas Prayer Book, which is a great little resource and has a whole lot of really lovely prayers in it. So check it out if you're interested. Today we're doing something a little bit different. We're taking a break from the Julian series and... I'm wishing you a Merry Christmas from Old Books with Grace. In honor of Christmas, I wanted to share um, a little poem with you, a beautiful Christmas gift, a poem by T.S. Eliot called The Cultivation of Christmas Trees. And now some of you may have heard the name T.S. Eliot before. And T.S. Eliot was a mid-century poet. So he was writing during World War II um, and the years before and the years after. And you might be thinking, hmm, this is about 500 years later than what Grace has been talking about. But I wanted to introduce you to something a little bit different this week. This poem is called The Cultivation of Christmas Trees. There are several attitudes towards Christmas, some of which we may disregard. The social, the torpid, the patently commercial, the rowdy, the pubs being open till midnight, and the childish, which is not that of the child for whom the candle is a star, and the gilded angel spreading its wings at the summit of the tree is not only a decoration, but an angel. The child wonders at the Christmas tree. Let him continue in the spirit of wonder, at the feast as an event not accepted as a pretext, so that the glittering rapture, the amazement of the first remembered Christmas tree, so that the surprises, delight in new possessions, each one with its peculiar and exciting smell, the expectation of the goose or turkey, and the expected awe on its appearance so that the reverence and the gaiety may not be forgotten in later experience, 
in the bored habituation, the fatigue, the tedium, the awareness of death, the consciousness of failure, or in the piety of the convert, which may be tainted with a self-conceit, displeasing to God and disrespectful to children. And here I remember also with gratitude St. Lucy, her carol, and her crown of fire, so that before the end, the 80th Christmas, by 80th, meaning whichever is last, the accumulated memories of annual emotion may be concentrated into a great joy, which shall be also a great fear, as on the occasion when fear came upon every soul. Because the beginning shall remind us of the end and the first coming of the second coming. That was T.S. Eliot's The Cultivation of Christmas Trees. What is your attitude towards Christmas? T.S. Eliot names several. The social, the torpid, which perhaps a new vocab word flash. I had to look it up, I confess. Sluggish and lethargic, which I think we all inhabit the week between Christmas and New Year. The commercial, the party, and the childish as carefully distinguished from the childlike. Eliot writes that the childlike consists of the child who, looking at the angel on top of the tree, sees that tree topper as not only a decoration, but an angel. I was at a craft store a few weeks ago, and all their Christmas decor was 50% off. I bought this small, slightly cheesy light-up ceramic tree to put on Margaret, my daughter, who is five, her distance learning desk. I'm sure you can picture exactly the type. It's got kind of like a mid-century vibe to it. It has a star on top, and a little Christmas light shines at the end of each bow in different colors. When Margaret saw the tree and learned it was going on her desk, she was transfixed. That night, she carefully turned it on and placed it on her shelf. She turned off all the lights downstairs. In quiet joy, she sat at her desk in the semi-dark. She called me down to witness her tiny Christmas miracle. Mama, the star on the top of the tree reminds me that Jesus is near. Then she asked if we could all pray right there at her desk because she was so certain that Jesus was right there with the tacky little tree. Christmas is special to Margaret because she loves presents dearly and eagerly anticipates them. And everything is magically tinted by this expectation. I always love that line in the poem about the delight of gifts. Each one with its peculiar and exciting smell. And yet, it's not just mere acquisition that excites Margaret. Through that anticipation, she feels the closeness of Jesus too, like she did with her silly tiny tree. T.S. Eliot says, Let her continue in the spirit of wonder. For the child, the tree is not just a part of something that comes every year. It is an occasion of wonder, of reverence, of newness and freshness. These feelings for us around Christmas so often become tainted with other things. Eliot lists them. Bored habituation, that is, becoming so used to the customs of Christmas that they become just another rote task for us to get through. 
fatigue. I am sure we can all relate to that. Tedium, awareness of death, which is very real this year as we live through a pandemic. Consciousness of failure. This one weighs heavy on me. Perhaps all adults bear that consciousness pretty heavily. And the conceited piety of certain forms of Christianity. War on Christmas, anyone? In the Anus Horribilis of 2020, this part of the poem may ring the truest to you. How in the world can you listen to Christmas carols and sit by the tree and feel any sense of joy this year? Especially if you are alone, have suffered a death in your family, lost a job, or just suffered in this year of massive suffering. Our culture has confused Christmas joy with a saccharine, sickly sweet Christmas response. Here's an example. I really like the Will Ferrell Christmas movie Elf until the very end of it. If you haven't seen it recently, Buddy the Elf was raised by cheery Christmas elves, but is actually a human. He finds his human father and transforms that unaware man's life in often alarming ways. But the end of the movie involves a mass group of singing in Central Park and singing, uh, believing in Santa Claus and Christmas magic in order to fuel Santa's lagging sleigh. Everyone gathers and sings, Santa Claus is coming to town in order to get Santa's sleigh back in the air. Call me a Grinch, but this part of the movie always felt forced to me. The real wonder and miracle of the movie is Buddy himself, a child in the ways of the world, who disrupts his father's cynical life and makes room for unexpected, unforeseen joy. To include this ending, Save Christmas by Believing in Santa and Singing Christmas Songs, feels strangely antithetical to Buddy's joy. You don't have to sing, you better watch out, you better not cry this year to create Christmas joy. It's okay if you're not feeling it. You don't have to will some kind of Christmas cheer into existence in your heart. What I like about Elliot's cultivation of Christmas trees is that it asks for the accumulation of years of Christmas trees to develop into concentrated joy despite all these obstacles of our grown-up outlook. Christmas in our hearts is cultivated through these treasured memories as well. Christmas joy is not mere happiness. Of course, we all want to be happy. It's lovely. But Christmas joy practices the childlike reverence and awe of God coming as a baby and reminds us that He is coming again, even in the darkest and the longest night. Eliot's mention of St. Lucy recalls that particular day. Before the adoption of the Gregorian calendar in the 16th century, which is the calendar we now all use, St. Lucy's feast day fell upon the longest night and the shortest day, the winter solstice. Lucy comes from the Latin word for light, lux. Her feast day is a light in the darkest day. In the 17th century, John Donne penned a beautiful but heartbreaking poem about losing his love called A Nocturnal Upon St. Lucy's Day, where the darkness of the longest day and his loss overwhelm him. He writes, For I am every dead thing in whom love wrought new alchemy, expressing the life which his love brought to him. When she died, love, quote, ruined me, and I am re-begot, 
the absence, darkness, death, things which are not. He vacillates between life and death. Absence and lack characterize his existence in his mourning. Dunn's words may ring truer to you this season than Buddy the Elf's cheer right now. I am reminded that despite all of our songs about the most wonderful time of the year and how holly jolly it all is, Christmas comes at the darkest time of the year. Elliot's poem ends a little bit interestingly. Your hackles may be raised a little by Elliot's use of fear to end with. Fear seems very unchristmassy. But here, it's good to remember Julian of Norwich's reverent fear. And you know, of course, I had to bring Julian in for just a second. Reverent fear is the only kind of fear she thinks comes from God. Love and reverent fear are brethren, she writes. It belongs to the high lordship of God to be feared, just as it belongs to his goodness to be loved. It is something far beyond our limited capacities to understand, and so we respect it with a respect that resembles our limited word fear. This fear, Julian writes, rather than driving us away or making us hide, makes us hastily to flee from all that is not good and fall into our Lord's breast as the child into her mother's bosom. With all our intent and all our mind, knowing our feebleness and great need, knowing his everlasting goodness and his blissful love, cleaving with secure trust, that fear that brings us into this working, it is kind and gracious and good and true. Chapter 74. Christmas in the darkest season reminds us Jesus is coming. Keep seeking out the good. Keep fleeing like the child into the mother's welcoming arms. I like how Elliot requests that the accumulated memories of annual emotion be concentrated into a great joy. The dawn is coming in the form of the little baby lying in the manger. Thanks again for listening to Old Books with Grace. I hope you enjoyed the little break from Julian with our mid-century poet T.S. Eliot and the cultivation of Christmas trees. Feel free to let me know what you think through the blog, oldbookswithgrace.com, or send an email, oldbookswithgrace at gmail.com. Have a very Merry Christmas. Christmas.